Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. The chapter heading in the particular version at which I'm looking right now says, Greeting the Faithful to this chapter. And I'm going to back up one sentence and start with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And now we come to our scripture. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Please be seated. I like that one of the kids was yaying the reading of the scripture, or at least I thought it was a yay, I don't know. God is good and all the time. His brother introduced him to Jesus. He walked on water, saw Jesus transfigured and was given the keys to the kingdom. He was ready to lay down his life to protect the Lord in that garden when the temple guards came to arrest him. Yet he would go on to deny that he knew Jesus or that he was one of his disciples. Later when he repented at the end of John's gospel, Jesus told him the manner in which he would die. He said, but when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. John 21, 18. And John adds to that, that this was said to indicate the death Peter would face. He's often regarded as the chief of the apostles for many reasons. He preached the first sermon of the church. Uh, He was very prominent throughout the book of Acts and in the Gospels. But this would be his last letter. Sometimes a person's last words are something worth remembering or reflecting on. For example, Thomas Edison said, it's very beautiful over there. Bob Marley said, money can't buy life. Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. And Harriet Tubman said, swing low, sweet chariot. I don't know what Peter's last words were when he was crucified upside down, but I do know you look at chapter one of second Peter Verses 13 through 15, he knows that he is about to die. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. The word translated decease there is exodus. It's kind of interesting the way that he phrases that, even though our English Bibles doesn't ca- don't catch the nuance. 
He regarded his body as his tabernacle. And you recall in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was where you worship God, but it could be torn down and moved and relocated and put back up. And so he's about to put off his tabernacle, and he's about to undergo his own exodus, leaving the body and going to be with the Lord. But before he does that, he wanted to let the saints know a few things, one of which is that we are participants in the divine nature. And there are three ways within this passage that I think we could probably identify. First of all, we're participants in the divine nature by faith. Chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was reading, and the African impala can jump over 10 feet and cover a distance greater than 30 feet. That's pretty magnificent. I remember years ago when I was with New Concord Church of Christ, we were coming back from a summer series, summer youth series, and we're coming back uh, maybe Benton or somewhere. And there was this uh, GMC Tahoe that was in one lane ahead of us, and this buck came running, and I thought, oh, it's going to hit it. That thing jumped right over that truck and kept on going. And I said, did you see that? I thought, you know, I was like, no, he's going to ram it. He jumped and cleared that Tahoe. Apparently that was more impressive to me than you, but I was like, wow, I've never seen that. But the Impala can be kept in an enclosure with a three-foot wall because they will not jump if they cannot see where they will fall. Faith is the ability to trust what we can't see, and with faith, we're freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only fear allowed to entrap us. You and I, having the faith that we had in Jesus Christ, we believe that He was God's only Son. We confessed that belief. We repented of our sins and were buried with Him in baptism. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice the participation of us in the sufferings and the death of Jesus Christ. I just want to take a second. Let me, let me just make an appeal. We have, I know, some teenagers, young adults, and other adults who've, for whatever reason, you're here quite often. We know you believe, but you've not taken this step. Why? What is it that's holding you back? Is, is it a sin is it that you're afraid to make the commitment that you can't do very well with it? I mean, none of us are perfect. What is it that's keeping you from obeying the gospel? Because I say to you right now, you are operating under some misguided idea that you go to church, you're a good enough person, so if the worst were to happen, you'll be all right. I'm not a gambler. And I would suggest you not gamble with your soul. Because if you know that you have sinned, if you know all these things that we have just discussed, having faith, uh, professing that faith, repenting of sins, if this is the one thing you've not done, all the rest isn't good enough. 
It's all or nothing. You're still in the old person, and that old person, when the Lord comes or when you die, is subject to the judgment of God. And that ought to scare some folks. Thankfully, I'm not the judge, and I don't have to be, but I am the preacher. And this has to be emphasized. If you have not obeyed the gospel, please do it. There is nothing more important on the face of the earth than being in a reconciled relationship to God. Daddy told me when I was a kid, uh, he said, well, my Uncle Bo told me when I wanted to obey the gospel, he said, this is the most important decision you'll make in your life. And then Daddy said, the second most important decision you'll ever make is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. I think I made a good decision. I don't know so much for Stephanie, though. You'll have to ask her. But please, please, you're people that we love, and we would hate the thought of you passing or the Lord coming, and you didn't do the one thing that is probably the easiest to do. You already have the faith. You already walk the walk to a degree. But you haven't been buried with Christ in baptism. Please do it. Because we participate in the divine nature. We are buried with him into his death. And just as he was raised, we too raise out of that water to walk in newness of life. But Paul goes on from there. For if we have been, notice, if, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So has your old man or old person been crucified with Christ? If we've been united with him, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. For he who died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. The promise of salvation in Jesus is that we would have eternal life. A lot of people believe that there's no such thing as eternal life, that once you die, that's just it. That's the end. And some of them would even suggest that this life is the best that you'll have. So make the most of it. And you have hedonism, people that just live for various pleasures. But the notion of eternal life, especially in a place much better than this, though it is a blessed place, is definitely something that I hope would be appealing. Throughout the scriptures, when we obey the gospel by faith, we are made new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.1. We died and now our lives are hidden with Christ in God, Colossians 3.3. 3. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we are in Christ. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And you're in an environment where people will support you, where people will pull for you, and we'll rejoice, as the heavens will, when you obey that gospel. But we participate in the divine nature by faith, first of all. Second of all, we participate in the divine nature by our growth. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. But for this very reason, give all 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. I noticed Gary uh, made the announcement this morning that Novi is two years old. And I was like, yeah. I thought she was just like eight months old. They grow up so fast. Um, I got one about to be married. What happened to those years? And then a 16-year-old. Wow. I used to think the old timers were, I don't know, it, it goes by fast. You're like, nah, 24 hours in a day. You know. But it does. It goes by real fast. But here's the thing. There are different, those different stages, right? The newborn stage. You love that. Hopefully, uh, I, we did. Lots of cuddles and snuggles, you know. Uh, I slept. She woke up m- more because she's a better parent, I suppose. But you, you have, the, you have the, the newborn stage, then you get to the toddler stage, and, you know, whether it's terrible twos or whatever, and, you know, then they keep growing, then they learn to talk, and then they, they'll mimic you good and bad things. I remember we were at a, I think it was a stoplight some time ago. Bree was little, maybe three or four. And when the light turned green, she was sitting in the back seat and her, you know, face, she said, and I was like, oh, she got that from her mother, I think. (laughs) But then you get to another state. Now, I, I think middle school is probably the most awkward stage. Because you're going out of being a child to growing up a little bit. Then you get to high school. Now you get to uh, young adulthood. But here's the thing. These stages come and they go. What would you think if you had a 16-year-old that you still pushed around in a cart, that you still had to change diapers, and all the things that you would do for a toddler or a newborn? Unless they had a medical condition... That would be pretty ridiculous. But here's the thing. A lot of us who are babes in Christ stay babes in Christ. You don't grow. You don't add to your faith all these various things. And this isn't anything new because those Christians then faced it. At the end of Hebrews chapter 5, the author says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. A little boy was getting into bed one night and he had one of those little uh, gate, I don't know, a gate or whatever, so he didn't fall off. But anyway, there was a portion where that thing didn't cover. <clears throat> and so one night, his mom and dad here, and they get up and they run into his room and 
are you okay? And he's like, yeah, what happened? He said, I stayed too close to the getting in part. You know, that getting in part of bed. You stayed too close, he rolled right off. Now think about this. If you are at the getting in part of your faith, there could be a chance that you'll fall right off. Grow. You have to grow. You and I have to grow. But some Christians will remain in their spiritual strollers until they're, they're wheeled into the spiritual nursing home. And they don't grow at all. Now here's something that I found interesting. And I didn't know this, but if you take a young shark and put that young shark in a tank, it will not grow like it should. It could be a six-inch shark that's actually fully grown and matured, but because it's been put in that confined space, it, it confines itself to that space rather than growing. Whereas if you put that shark in the ocean, it'll grow to its full size, eight feet, 10 feet, or whatever that is. Too many of us have confined ourselves to small thinking and a nominal faith to the point that we haven't grown. And the Hebrew author points this out beautifully. You ought to be teachers by this time. Let me ask you this. If you've been a Christian for five years, let's just say five years, can you tell someone what they need to do to be saved? If you've been a Christian for five years, maybe it's not your thing, but could you lead a Bible study or say, hey, turn here and you'll find the answer to that question. You know, what are we putting into it? If we're not putting anything into it, we're not going to get anything out of it. We have to grow. Okay, so by faith, by growth, and the final one that uh, Peter gives us is by reflection, verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we often have to self-reflect, and sometimes we have blind spots. We can't always see our own blind spots unless we have someone who uh, is willing to point those out. At the temple of Apollo at Delphi was an inscription, know thyself is what it said in our language. Socrates once said the unexamined life is not worth living. According to the Harvard Business Review, research suggests that when we see ourselves clearly we are more confident. We make sounder decisions, build stronger relationships, and communicate more effectively. We're less likely to lie, cheat, and steal. We're better workers who get more promotions, and we're more effective leaders with more satisfied employees and more profitable companies. So sometimes the best way to be self-aware is, you know, when you and I look at other people and we're critical of other people, turn that same thing on yourself. I know we all like to think, oh, well, you know, I don't have any blind spots. I don't have any faults. I don't have any flaws. And oh, okay. Sure thing, buddy. Newsflash. You're wrong, though, right? We all have blind spots. None of us are perfect. We all can stand to improve some. Uh, some of us could stand to, I don't know, you could stand to be kinder to others. Some of us could stand to uh, be more compassionate to others, to be more patient. Or, or Sometimes we should be so self-aware that we should know that God has forgiven us. I think one of the worst things that many Christians live with 
is they continually live with the guilt of their sins. If we believe in the forgiveness and the grace of God, if he's not holding it against you, why are you holding it against yourself? A man was visiting a church and had visited for a number of months and the elders came to visit him at his house. And they just asked him, they said, are you going to play some membership with us? He said, well, uh, I love going to y'all's congregation, but I don't know, I don't know if you'd let me because of, you know, of my past and, you know, things that I've done, things that I've gotten wrong. And he was telling me this, this man, and he said, one of those elders said to him, son, I got a question for you. He said, okay. He said, are you better than God? It's an odd question, don't you think? He said, no. He said, do you believe God forgives? He said, yes. He said, well, if God doesn't hold it against you anymore, why do you? That's a pretty good thought when you think about it. If God has forgiven, I ought to forgive myself as well. Alexander McLaren once wrote, we, ha we may have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us take all that we want. If a man is admitted into a vault and told to help himself and comes out with only a penny, whose faith, rather whose fault is it that he's poor? So we've been given this great opening of treasure, of the gospel, of, of our Lord, of sharing and participating in this divine nature. So when we walk around spiritually poor, whose fault is it? We always like to blame others, I think. It, it, but you ever notice a person that's always blaming somebody else? It's usually that person. So you're never at fault? No, it's them, them people over there. Guess what? You're one of those people over there. You know, none of us are better than another. Some of us may do better, but none of us are better. But we got to remember what the Lord did for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice how we've swapped places. Jesus became what we are so that we become what he is. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. We watched a show that's on Netflix. It's called uh, Painkiller. Is that right? Painkiller. And it's, it's a true story. It's about the rise of Oxycontin and the, the, uh, 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 the abuse and the deaths and all that went with that. And you know... I think most of us have known or know an addict, uh, someone who may be in active recovery, um, but also someone who's still beholden to their addiction. And watching this, this show, it was, it was quite sad to see what people wanted just to escape reality for a little bit. And some of, some of them were perfectly normal people that just suffered an injury, and this was prescribed for their pain and they built up a tolerance and they just kept wanting more and more and more. There's this one character in the movie who hits rock bottom and cleans himself up. But then an event happens where after a month of sobriety, he, he, he fell back off the wagon, if you will. I think the Christian life is a lot like that. 
When we obey the gospel, it's, it's akin to us grasping for sobriety. But it's up to us to maintain that. We can always fall off, but that's our own choosing. Sin doesn't have the power over us that a substance may. That's because of what Jesus has done. So if we go back to it, that's on you and me. That's not on the Lord. So I appeal to you just to remember what it is that God did for us. And remember that you and I are participating in the divine nature by faith, by growth, and by reflection. And once more, I appeal to those who have not yet obeyed the gospel. Please, 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 please obey the gospel. Your soul is precious. God loves you. Please don't let one thing stand between you and God. He is long-suffering, and I appreciate, Gary, your, part of your prayer for those that are spiritually sick to just give them another moment before the Lord comes. You have a moment now. So if you want to obey the gospel, please come forward as we stand and sing together.